0: And Fucking the Republic is brought to you by Insane Level sponsors W. Jeremy D., Eric Wagner 101, Rob Nasby, Isoke, Nick G., Cassie LMM, and the Worry Clan, and Nathan Second.
1: Do you think the children of illegal aliens should be allowed to attend Texas public schools free? Or do you think that their parents should pay for their education? Who are you addressing that to? I think you're first in this. He was looking right at you. I said he was. Look... <laughs> I'd like to see something done about the illegal alien problem that would be so sensitive and so understanding about labor needs and human needs that that problem wouldn't come up. But today, if those people are here, uh, I would reluctantly say, I think they they would get whatever it is that they're, you know, what the society is giving to their neighbors. But it has, the problem has to be solved. The problem has to be solved because... With, as we have kind of made illegal some kinds of labor that I'd like to see legal, we're doing two things. We're creating a whole society of really honorable, decent, family loving people that are in violation of the law. And secondly, we're exacerbating relations with Mexico. The, cha- the, the answer to your question is much more fundamental than whether they attend Houston schools, it seems to me. I don't want to see a whole, if they're living here, I don't want to see a whole, thinking six and eight year old kids being made, you know, one totally uneducated and made to feel that they're living with outside the law, let's address ourselves to the fundamentals. These are good people, strong people. Part of my family is a Mexican. And I, and I, and
2: I add to that? I think the time has come that the United States and our neighbors, particularly our neighbor to the South, should have a better understanding and a better relationship than we've ever had. And I think that we haven't, been sensitive enough to our size and our power. They have a problem of 40 to 50% unemployment. Now this cannot continue without the possibility arising with regard to that other country that we talked about, of Cuba and what it is stirring up, of the possibility of trouble below the border and we could have a very hostile and strange neighbor on our border. Rather than making them or talking about putting up a fence, why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems? Make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. And when they want to go back, they can go back, and they can cross and open the border both ways by understanding their problems. This is the only safety valve right now they have with that unemployment that probably keeps the lid from blowing off down there. And I think we could have a a fine relationship, and it would solve the problem you mentioned also
1: to the end, to the FTR. Unfucking fucking the republic, beating people where they are. Left, right, center, make you laugh, make you cry. Brings the heat of a basic white guy me. Could've run for office, could've got up off his ass hey. Could've made something other than a fucking podcast But here we are, yo, the UNFPR show Many faces ripping the script with fuckers around the globe And Brigitte brings it back for Tom McGovern, let's go Unfuckers, I'm unkanuckers, I'm you're a fuckers 99 i right. on the fuckers and some the fuckers, they all they fucking mind From New York to Outer Gami, Halifax to New Zealand Say it loud, say it with me, yo, yo fuck, fuck Milton Friedman Freeman.
3: As the war in Ukraine rages on, a refugee crisis has taken hold in Eastern Europe. As of this recording, it's estimated that 10 million Ukrainians have fled their homes, with 3.5 million seeking refuge outside of Ukraine. The vast majority have sought asylum with family members or organizations in neighboring countries such as Poland, Romania, and Hungary. Some have even gone to Russia to stay with family and escape the bombings in their home cities. A small percentage of those fleeing the crisis have actually been able to make it across the Atlantic to seek safe harbor in North America. And as impossible as it sounds, Russians and Ukrainians have even found passage through Latin America only to find themselves huddled amongst tens of thousands of asylum seekers from Mexico and Latin America, at the U.S. southern border.
4: The United States has a public health order in place because of the pandemic, which says that it can reject just about anyone who is asking for asylum apart from unaccompanied children. And what that means in practice at entry points like this one is that it can really pick and choose who it lets in. And it seems that at the moment that's Ukrainians, yes, dissident Russians like the ones in the camp, not so much, and the Mexicans and Central Americans that say they've been living in unofficial conflict zones for years now with next to no hope of getting into the US.
3: This Al Jazeera report from the US-Mexico border paints an interesting picture of Ukrainians being shuttled aside and admitted across the border while Russians, sympathetic to the Ukrainian plight, remain in place with Hispanic asylum seekers. The reporter spoke the quiet part out loud by questioning the difference between those seeking refuge from conflicts that we arguably have a much larger role in creating and those coming in from the crisis in ukraine i'm not minimizing anyone's reason for seeking entry into the united states and i'll let you draw your own conclusions as to the prevailing calculus with respect to who's allowed in and who's not but i did think it was a perfect time to dig deeper into one of the conservative media's favorite boogeymen and the thing that scares white people more than anything, illegal immigration.
1: Lord, I'm Damn, this is some scary shit! Oh, I am scared! Oh, oh. UNFTR! Chapter 1, The
2: 411 on
3: NIM. We've done a good amount of work already to understand how much we've meddled in Central and South American affairs. So I'm going to make a broad assumption at the beginning here that we don't need to rehash how we've created economic and human safety issues and imbalances among some of our siblings to the South. We're not going to rehash how we invaded or helped overthrow countries like uh, El Salvador.
2: Oh, how about Honduras?
3: No.
0: We could go over Allende's assassination again when we helped overthrow the government of Chile.
3: No, 99. Unfuckers know this already.
2: What about installing and then uninstalling a dictator in Nicaragua? Or Cuba. Honduras.
0: Supporting coup attempts in Panama? Or Cuba? The Dominican? Grenada. Puerto Rico? Or Cuba? Why don't we re-release our Washington Consensus episode?
3: No, no, no. Guys, guys, it's unnecessary. Unfuckers have been following along. They know how much we have destabilized the South. How we exported Uncle Cheese Nipple's neoliberal free trade policies.
2: Yes, he's already talking about Milton Friedman.
3: To use both dollar diplomacy and gunboat diplomacy in an effort to squeeze their economies of natural resources and install puppet governments that allowed U.S. companies to occupy some of their most important industries under threat of invasion and insurrection from the U.S. armed and funded guerrilla groups?
0: So, what do you want to talk about then?
3: I just want to talk immigration, specifically on the southern border. And while I don't want to rehash why— hundreds of thousands of people attempt to enter the United States each year through Mexico, I do want to rehash the numbers a bit. In an earlier quickie, we talked about Net International Migration, or NIM, and I promised to bring it back in this episode, so here we are. Understanding this concept and the figures behind it is really important because it sets the table for us to show how the debate around Hispanic immigration especially has dramatically changed over the past few decades. How we've gone from two of the biggest neocon assholes, those guys in our opening clips, both of whom would become president of the United States, talking about the importance of Latin immigration, the need for a humane policy and the economic advantage of open borders to an all out demonization of families crossing the border under almost any circumstance. So let's review. Much of the hysteria around undocumented workers and asylum seekers is accompanied by enormous figures that make the border sound like it's in a constant state of panic and unrest. Fox in particular likes to throw around figures in the hundreds of thousands of arrests and detentions, millions of attempts, and an already massive population of so-called illegal immigrants already living in the United States. And by the way, fucker Carlson has been stretching lately to claim that the generally accepted number of 11 million immigrants in the United States illegally is drastically undercounted. And I'm actually willing to concede this to a degree because I think this is a very blurry area that is impossible to tabulate. Now, before we talk about people who are already here, let's review NIM. It's really important that unfuckers speak with the same language about this. Now, we quoted James Risen of The Intercept in that previous quickie, who ran through the numbers compiled by joint agencies during the pandemic to try and get the most accurate count possible. And here's this quote again, quote, net international migration into the United States increased by just 247,000 people in 2021, the lowest annual level for any year since at least 2010. That's about half the number of people who came into this country between 2019 and 2020, during the Trump administration when net international migration totaled 477,000. The 2021 figure was also far below the 1,049,000 who came into the U.S. between 2015 and 2016, the highest level for any year in that decade, end quote. So for all the bluster on Fox and other conservative sources, the real figure is around a quarter of a million people because it takes into account people who also left the country. And the reality is that so far under Biden, the situation at the border has improved quite dramatically. A narrative that they don't want to promote, obviously. So the equation for NIM is as follows as a refresher. Foreign born immigration minus foreign born emigration plus net Puerto Rican migration plus net native born immigrants equals net international migration or NIM for short. So again, Foreign-born immigration is the number of people that have gained entry to the country from foreign nations, legally, illegally, whatever. Foreign-born emigration is the outflow, the number of people from those same categories who left the United States. Net Puerto Rican migration is the total increase or decrease to the Puerto Rican population. Net native-born immigrants are babies born to immigrants in the United States, or, quote, anchor babies, as right-wing douche nozzles like to refer to them, as though they're not human. Add them all up, and you get... N-I-M.
0: Yay! UNFTR is also brought to you by Insane Level sponsors Nathan E., Michelle H., Sam C., Cringy, Cindy S., and Corius.
2: Chapter 2. Closed Minds and Open Borders.
3: So that 247,000 represents about 0.06% of the U.S. population. Again, this is just net new inflow or outflow and doesn't address the existing population. Oh, and there's one more thing I want to convey because there are two sides to the coin. Immigrants, whether lawfully or unlawfully entering the country, typically wind up in just a handful of states. But there are border towns that catch the brunt of the initial influx and are absolutely overwhelmed. And I get it. If this were a court of law, these Americans would have what is called standing. I'll listen to their side of the debate all day, every day, because they're living the chaos created on both sides of the border and are legitimately caught in the middle. And if you're one of those leftists who says, well, they have the freedom to move, then knock it off. That's the argument the right loves to use when we talk about injustices at the state and local levels. You don't like it? Well, then why don't you just fucking move? It's a free country. Freedom of mobility is an economic issue and it isn't necessarily afforded to many in the United States, so let's not stoop to that level. Anyway, one of the biggest criticisms one hears, especially from Fucker Carlson, the head nativist in charge at Fox News, is that the generally accepted figure of 11 million undocumented immigrants in the US is vastly underreported. As I said, I'll allow space for this because the 11 million figure is somewhat outdated and even the Census Bureau admits that this is an inexact science. The reason they stand more firmly behind the NIM number of 247,000 in 2021, by the way, is because they partnered with multiple agencies during the pandemic to get a more precise figure. Now, I suppose we could also allow for the idea then that it could be less than 11 million as well, since we don't really know. But let's use fuckers logic. We'll split the difference and use, say, 15 million as our number, because that's as reasonable as anything, I suppose. That would represent about 4 percent of the u.s population most of whom are within just a handful of states now this is the fun part because we get to use fucker's logic and bring in one of our oldest and dearest friends into the conversation here's fucker talking about the economic downside of having 11 million people sucking off the american teat even though he believes the number is much higher than that take it away fucker
1: now it doesn't take an economist
3: to know that giving free quote health care which obviously will include gender transitions by the way
1: to 11 million new people could easily capsize the entire U.S. economy, very easily. As Milton Friedman once wisely noted, you can have a welfare state or you can have open borders, but you cannot have both.
3: You know I like this, right? Because it puts it on the record that I didn't bring up Uncle Stinky Fart. He did. So before we move on, let's actually hear from Uncle Scrotum Tuck himself to really flesh this out and understand where fucker is coming
4: from. Look, for example, at the obvious, immediate, practical case of illegal Mexican immigration. Now, that Mexican immigration over the border is a good thing. It's a good thing for the illegal immigrants. It's a good thing for the United States. It's a good thing for the citizens of the country. But it's only good so long as it's illegal. That's an interesting paradox to think about. Make it legal and it's no good. Why? Because as long as it's illegal, the people who come in do not qualify for welfare, they don't qualify for Social Security, they don't qualify for all the other myriads of benefits that we pour out from, what, from our left pocket into our right pocket. And so as long as they don't qualify, they migrate to jobs. They take jobs that uh, uh, most residents of this country are unwilling to take. They provide employers with workers of a kind they cannot get. They're hard workers. They're good workers. And they are clearly better off.
3: Whoa, there's a lot to think about here. And by the way, if you haven't listened to our fuck Milton Friedman episodes or the two parter we did on libertarianism, this clip might seem really strange, but it actually lines up really well with Friedman's worldview, but it poses really big challenges to anti immigration narratives. So let's break it down. Uncle Fuckbreath believes that the downside of immigrants streaming across the border is that they'll suck up the great American welfare state services. On this, Fucker agrees. But Friedman goes further to suggest that illegal immigration, that has no carrot waiting for a migrant other than the prospect of dirty work that our citizens refuse to do, is a healthy part of the economic engine of a nation. On this idea, Friedman was a fan of open borders, which would obviously drive many in both major parties crazy, but it tracks with his hardcore free market view of the world. Labor, like money, should be able to move freely in a market that poses no barrier. If that labor winds up driving down wages, then that's a good thing, because it means employers are free to hire people for less. It's why the thing that he hated the most was the minimum wage. Right away, we can see that Fucker has a problem here. He's quoting Milton Friedman and considers him a hero, by the way, but he's adamantly against undocumented workers migrating across the border. Open borders is a nightmare to Fucker and his ilk. Chapter 3, Debunking the Welfare Argument So that brings us into the welfare state. A couple of ways to think about this. Fucker and Friedman are aligned in the sense that they don't believe undocumented people should be able to access welfare benefits. But for different reasons, and this is where Fucker has a convenient interpretation of Friedman. Friedman didn't believe anyone should have them, citizen or not. Welfare of any kind is an unnecessary control and kills free markets and the incentive to work. Fucker believes that migrants are crossing the border not for work opportunities, but to live on the largesse of the American welfare system. Fucker hammers this point over and over. It's the centerpiece of his talking points against immigration. That and his assertion that we have nothing to do with suppressing Latin American economies and societies, so everyone below the border should just go fuck themselves. You even heard it in the clip when he talks about giving away healthcare to 11 million people. And of course, he throws in a crude reference to that, including gender transition, just to drive it home that he's a fucking asshole.
1: You, you imbecile, You bloated idiot! You stupid you.
3: <laughs> but the cold, hard facts of the matter undermine his theories on immigration entirely. The things we typically define as welfare, like Medicaid child welfare payments snap which is formerly food stamps unemployment insurance disability social security etc none of these things is available to undocumented workers in fact as we've covered before there's a hidden benefit to the united states when it comes to social security specifically that pundits and politicians rarely talk about according to policy groups that study social security and even social security's own actuary undocumented workers pay about $13 billion a year into Social Security. They do this either through deductions from privately held payrolls or from providing false Social Security numbers. That's $13 billion a year going directly into the Social Security Trust that will never benefit the workers who contributed to it because they're not eligible to take them out. (gasps) There are only two benefits in pure economic terms that are available, public school education and emergency health care. So let's talk about this for a moment before we reveal the real bad guy in our story. First off, public education is a real thing. No child can be turned away from public school regardless of immigration status. If their parents or guardians can prove residency with an address or utility bill or what have you, then the child can attend school. Bullshit, right? How dare they? Well, here's the problem with hating on this. And don't get me wrong, Teaching English as a second language to students is a great challenge for teachers and something that we are not properly equipped to handle in most districts across the country. That being said, from a funding perspective, because we fund school districts through the local tax base, then these students are underwritten in the same manner as the 40% of the country that rents and does not own housing. If you pay rent to someone, then the homeowner or apartment owner pays real estate taxes that support the local school district. So those kids, they're covered, period, end of story. It is not a federal economic benefit apart from school lunches, and we'll talk about that in a second. Now, in terms of healthcare, we talked about this in a prior episode that talked about the role of think tanks in shaping public policy. Recall that Obamacare was based on Romney Care in Massachusetts, which was a policy designed by the conservative think tank Heritage Foundation as a way to punish poor, uninsured people, most notably undocumented immigrants. See, their idea was that if everyone was compelled to take health insurance coverage, then poor people would have to pay private insurers and stop seeking emergency room care for even the most basic ailments. Now, obviously, this is a whole different story. The way we apportion health care in this country is stupid, mean, and brutal. But Obamacare, or Romneycare, or Obamnicare if you prefer, was specifically designed to punish poor people and line the pockets of insurance companies. Of course, that's not a popular narrative for liberals, but it doesn't make it false. So the one benefit you have, if you're an undocumented human in this country, is that you're still free to walk into an emergency room and receive emergency care and treatment.
0: So not Medicaid?
3: Nope. Medicare? Nope.
0: Temporary aid to needy families or TANF? Nope. Child care? Uh-uh. Adoption assistance? Negative. Low-income home energy assistance? Uh Uh-uh. Social security? No. Snap food benefits? Nope. Cuba!
3: No, stop it. Conservative outlets like to claim, as Donald Trump often did, that more than half of all immigrant households in the U.S. receive welfare benefits. It's a great spin and effective talking point. In fact, I've read numbers as high as three quarters of all non-native-born households receive, quote, some welfare. Here's how they get there, because it's true, but it doesn't include any of the programs that we listed above. First off, we have legal immigration into this country. We have work visas, student visas, temporary visas, refugees, etc. When conservatives quote the 50% figure, which is the most consistent talking point, they're talking about documented and known immigrants as well. And the one program that they're including to skew all of the figures is subsidized school lunches. If you take just that element away, native-born and non-native-born households receive pretty much the same benefits. But the real story here is that undocumented people might get a good school lunch, but they don't qualify for any of the big stuff that Milton Friedman and Fucker Carlson have pointed to. Now, you can argue whether or not undocumented people are deserving of welfare of any kind, I'm happy to talk that out. But our mission today is to debunk the talking points around illegal entry into the United States, the economic impact of this phenomenon, and the racist underpinnings of the entire conversation. But we really now need to talk about the one asshole who designed the system that we're under today, the one that stripped away any and all protections from undocumented workers, and the one who actually created the crisis at the border. Hint. It was a president of the United States.
2: Chapter 4. And the asshole is...
3: Now, before we reveal the asshole president who fucked the immigration process and created the mess we're in today, let's hear from a proper president who understands the human condition and the economic value of being a nation of immigrants.
5: The median age of the workforce is a big deal in terms of the economic potential of a country. So, and since the birth rate of native-born Americans of all races is just barely at replacement level, we need immigrants to come in and keep diversifying the country and helping us grow. But that's better. Now.
3: Ah, the soothing sounds of Slick Willie. That was from an appearance on Conan after his bride lost to Trump. I have to admit, it's always refreshing to listen to an intelligent former president who understands both economics and the human side of politics. Which now brings us to the guy who really fucked things up at the border. In fact, let's go to the very moment that it all began.
5: All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace as recommended by the commission headed by former congresswoman Barbara Jordan. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it.
3: At some point, we're going to unfuck the 90s because the Clinton administration is responsible for so much legacy evil in our system. It's amazing. He fucked poor, marginalized and immigrant people with that trifecta of legislation that fucked generations of Americans right in the starfish. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The big one that we've covered is obviously the crime bill. But there were two others that worked in conjunction with the crime bill to strangle the immigrant population and set the country up for failure with respect to immigration policy to this day. The first came on the heels of the Oklahoma City bombings called the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act. Among other things, it allowed the deportation of any immigrant ever convicted of a crime, no matter how long ago or how serious. The great historian Howard Zinn called this bill a, quote, throwback to the notorious Alien and Sedition Laws of 1798 and the McCarthy-era McCarran-Walter Act of the 1950s, end quote.
2: Hold up, hold up, wait a minute, but wasn't the Oklahoma bombing carried out by a U.S.-born white dude who served in the military?
3: That's correct, Manny. When white people carry out crimes in the United States, we do what any reasonable nation would do, create laws that punish black and brown people. Anywho, the third in the trifecta was the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act of 1996. So I'm going to read directly from a Cornell University report on the bill to describe it. Quote, the act was designed to improve border control by imposing criminal penalties for racketeering, alien smuggling, and the use or creation of fraudulent immigration-related documents and increasing interior enforcement by agencies charged with monitoring visa applications and visa abusers. The act also allows for the deportation of undocumented immigrants who commit a misdemeanor or a felony. The act mandates that immigrants who are unlawfully present in the U.S. for 180 days but under 365 days must remain outside the United States for three years unless pardoned. If they remain in the United States for 365 days or more, they must stay outside of the United States for 10 years unless they obtain a waiver. However, if they return to the U.S., Without the pardon, they must wait 10 years until they even apply for a waiver, end quote. So imposing punishment on criminal activity of any kind is always pretty popular in the United States. And that was Clinton's aim. See, at the time, he was trying to appeal to Republican voters and centrist Dems because the country was still shifting to the right and he was losing some confidence among the centrists. So on the surface, nothing about the crime bill, the immigration bill, or the terrorist bill seemed offensive to the public or even Congress at the time. But as an article in The Atlantic from an immigrant writer so perfectly states, quote, the 1996 laws took the harshest elements of the criminal justice system, mass incarceration, discriminatory policing, zero tolerance, and injected them into the immigration system, end quote. This doesn't even get into the economic conditions for manufacturing employees that worsened in the U.S. and the wage slavery in Mexico that resulted from NAFTA. That's for a whole other episode. Now, recall the opening clip. From this episode, with neocons Bush Sr. and Ronald Reagan in their primary debate, just one generation later, the country had turned so hard to the right under a Democrat that Democrats believed they had to move into the angry right-wing swim lane to retain power.
2: UNFTR! Chapter 5. Bring it home, Max.
3: The immigration debate can be very disorienting. There are emotional, economic, security, education, and social components, not to mention an inherent nativist and racist thread through nearly every discussion. And by the way, if you really want to have some fun talking about immigration and rights, reach out to my buddy John Kane's Let's Talk Native show and ask him what he thinks. Anyway, one of fuckers' consistent talking points is the Great Replacement Theory. The idea that Democrats want Hispanic people streaming across the border because they'll take benefits, get hooked on welfare, and become lazy Democratic voters. Yes, this is really his take, and it's catching on. So forget the naked racism and all of this for a second, though I know it's hard. He has a point about the tendencies of Hispanic voters in the United States. But I wonder whose fault that is. Historically, the Hispanic bloc of voters leans Democratic for sure. Although it's important not to paint the community with a single brush. For example, the majority of Cuban-American voters identify as conservative, and they're an extremely important voting block in a vital swing state. That being said, perhaps the most Hispanic-friendly president that we've ever had was George W. Bush, who brought the difference in Democratic to Republican voting within 18 points. Just two cycles prior, the disparity was above 50 points when Clinton beat Dole. Losing Hispanic voters who are culturally more conservative than most people realize was a self-inflicted wound on the part of the Republican Party. Their racism and fear-mongering has cost them the fastest-growing voting block in the country. So fine, fuck them. The problem is that the fucking Democratic Party is feeding into this by propping up Clinton-era legislation that unfairly targets people trying to enter the country lawfully or seeking asylum or employment without going through the proper channels, people who have been here for years, and people who are already contributing to the economy. And now the right is bitching about labor shortages? The native-born American birth rate is indeed in decline, and we're drowning in job openings because A, we won't support low-wage workers with a proper minimum wage or social safety nets, and B, we're preventing the labor force from growing by shutting down immigration pathways. Look at the agriculture sector, right? The whole sector remains in full crisis mode from the labor shortage worsened now by rising prices and real supply chain issues, not the bullshit ones that we've covered before. But for some fucking reason, we can't break from this bizarre right-wing rhetoric that has infused every corner of the conversation. Look at how even Joe couches the immigration issue in terms of security.
5: If we are to advance liberty and justice, we need to secure our border and fix the immigration
3: system. A white guy bombs a federal building, and we pass terrorism legislation targeting immigrants. We claim brown people are streaming across the border for benefits that mostly white people get. Libertarians like Fucker rely on Milton Friedman's economic logic, but Friedman was in favor of open borders because it allowed companies to abuse workers. Pundits wail and cry about labor shortages, but we won't let anyone in. Hispanic immigrants used to move freely across the border with the seasons because they followed the work. The reason they started staying here is because we threatened them if they left. In every way imaginable, we created this crisis, not just Republicans, Democrats as well, because we're in a 50-year race between the primary parties to see which one can out xenophobia the other. It's really fucking madness. There's no economic rationale behind our immigration policy. We're cutting our nose to spite our face. There's no human rationale behind it either because we are absolutely responsible for many of the societal ills and instability within so many Central American nations. But when white Ukrainians come to the Mexican border, it's another story entirely. So here's the real story, the real conclusion. Racism sells. It really does. All of fuckers' arguments built on lies, all of them. But the reason we can't spot them easily or hear them clearly is because we're so tuned to the language of racism. It's comfortable, familiar, and it lets us off the hook when things are bad. White Ukrainians are walking across the US-Mexican border. Tucker Carlson is a dangerous racist. A nation of immigrants, indeed. Here ended the lesson. Welcome to the after show. What are we calling this again?
0: Post show musing. Z- musings. Post show musings. Musings. After show is kind of fun though. After show. I know ignition is bad, but backstage know, after the party is the after party. The after
3: party. Ooh, the after party. What's bad? Ignition. What?
0: Ignition. What's like By R. Kelly.
3: Is it that, that's a song?
0: It's a remix to Ignition, hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling that body, got every man in here wishing. Sipping on coke rum, I'm like, so what, I'm drunk. It's the freaking weekend, baby, I'm about to have me some fun. You know, you're telling me you don't know Ignition?
3: No, I know it, but I wanted you to get through all of it because I'm hoping and praying that Manny does something with that. <laughs> bounce, that was
0: bounce, bounce, spectacular. bounce, bounce, bounce. I could keep going. It's like murder. She wrote,
3: and and so it, we can't call this what?
0: Well, I said after the after the party is the after party. Oh. After the party is the hotel lobby. You know, oh.
3: I I'm not sure that anybody would get that from unfucking the republic or, or automatically go to R. Kelly. I know how you love him, but um, so <laughs> well, welcome.
0: That's just where it went from after show.
3: Welcome to post show musings. Um. I'd finished pretty much wrapping this up in 99 shared an article with me from the New York Times that talks about um, American companies tripping over themselves to hire Ukrainian refugees and uh, how we're trying to clear as many obstacles as possible from the federal level to allow them into the country. So let me be, let me be absolutely clear. I do think we should be opening our borders to Ukrainian refugees. I think that we should always open our borders to refugees. From any part of the world. It's just so hypocritical and so ahistorical to not open the borders to the countries that we've really had such a heavy hand in fucking over. And I'm talking recent hist- history too. I did hear a, a fucker Carlson rant that was talking about how, you know, we have nothing to do, nothing to do. With the governments in Central America, nothing to do. You we know, don't have troops there. We're not doing anything. But when you when you think about economic policies, you don't have to intervene or invade a country to fuck it up. And also, we did intervene and and or invade a lot of these countries, and we threw them off a generational path in most of the cases. And that's that's what our Washington consensus episode was all about. So we can't deny that we had involvement and it just you know the optics to me are so fucking clear that when you look at that Al Jazeera piece for example and they're they're literally pulling white people off the line and just taking them through they're leaving white russians behind that and not the cocktail but actual russians who are white people behind and I and and I totally I actually do get that right now and it's almost kind of funny that they're just being left there um But anyway, that aside, if you're seeking refuge, we are supposed to be the country that takes you in and gives you a fucking shot.
0: The Great American Melting Pot.
3: That's right. And now we have, according to the article that you shared, private industry is just like, yeah, fucking A, bring me your white.
0: Do you remember the song from Schoolhouse Rock?
3: I remember a lot of them. Which one?
0: The Great American Melting Pot.
3: No, I don't know that one. Yeah. Oh.
0: It's like the great American melting pot. It's basically all I remember. Oh, that's so the chorus. Fun. And everyone, they're making like soup mm. in like the Statue of Liberty or something. Oh. As a metaphor.
3: That's adorable. hmm. And I it's a lie. We, didn't we play in our, yeah, our earlier I'm ones? just a Bill. I'm just a Bill on Capitol Hill.
0: I'm just a Bill. If only. That's what you said after.
3: <laughs> so, so snarky. Mm-hmm. If only. As if oh i just closed out my notes what a dummy anyway um so yeah now we have private industry doing whatever they can to to hire people great fucking awesome i love it we've got job openings there are ukrainians here fleeing a crisis. But crisis we just a you crisis but we just can't see we just can't see ourselves clearly so hopefully this clears some things up a little bit anyway there was an additional obama chapter that i had outlined here because i really want to drive the point home that uh, the Democratic Party is equally as complicit in in propagating this very racist policy that we have at the border. Um, and, and it talks about, it sort of debunks the whole Trump era kids in cage family separation policy was different than, or was the same as what Obama did. And it does actually debunk that to a great degree. But then it also goes and builds on the fact that remember obama was considered the deporter in chief at the time and had really really stringent policies when it came to the border as well and none of them addressed these clinton era policies that shut down a whole segment of our population so if you go back to this you go back to the idea that if you are in the country for x amount of time and then you leave you can't return for another three years And if you're here for more than half a year, you can't return for 10 years. You can't even apply for a decade. That was meant to basically say that if you do come back and it's within that time frame, you are committing a crime. And then they can sweep you up and put you in jail. And then you're caught in the mass incarceration system. So they're setting up these things as misdemeanors and felonies that you're going to violate if you are a seasonal worker or you go back and forth across the border. And by the way, we're free to fucking do it. We can go into Mexico and hang out for months and then come fucking back, right? I mean, it's it's, it's this, is, this is a one way street, but it's just madness that they set it up like that. They set us up for failure, both economically, And of course, the incentives were completely reversed. If you're a seasonal worker like Bush and Reagan were talking about, like, hey, we need these people. They're filling a valuable part of our society, of our economic society here, because they're A, yes, doing work that others will not do, but it's work that only requires part time attention. And this is how agriculture and seasonal work has always been since time immemorial since the very fucking beginning. You can't pick apples 12 months of the fucking year. It's not possible. So they come in, they do their job, they leave. We needed them to do it and great. And by the way, the mechanism of the agriculture industry reduced so much of that inflow as it was and pushed out so many people from even participating in that. So we're even talking about a much smaller percentage of the population that was coming across the border to do the last remaining non-mechanized work for the agriculture industry that we desperately need to fucking feed people in this country. It's just insanity. And of course, we look the other way, talk about private industry, for all of the private industries that employ undocumented workers with those fake social security numbers, do you know, do you know how many of those are in the so-called, quote, protein industry that you and I love so much? Talk about, you know, veganism as a movement. The protein industry, gets the government to turn a blind fucking eye because they use primarily undocumented workers to come through and work in these horrific conditions. So it's always, always policies that benefit us or white working class to white upper class and middle class people. And it's meant to punish people that don't look like us, are not from here. It's nativist, it's xenophobic. It's incredible that we can't see it for what it is. And we allow these myths to continue.
0: Why are you yelling at me?
3: With you. <laughs> You're mad too, right?
0: No, I love this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, the Obama stuff uh, was on the cutting room floor. Probably should have saved this actually for show notes next week, but I'll have more thoughts uh, that obviously evolve.
0: Sure, you will. <laughs> Always happens
3: that way. Um, but you know what? Fuck Tucker Carlson. Just, I, I hate him. I hate him so much because of his platform if he was just a fucking dorky guy in a bow tie screaming at the fuck him who cares but he has what's wrong
0: with bow ties
3: he doesn't even wear the bow tie anymore i know yeah so i know.
0: bring the leave the bow ties out of that you're
3: right i'm sorry to anybody out there wearing a bow tie i apologize
0: do you think that he's always constipated or he just looks like that
3: it's amazing isn't it
0: yeah Like, doesn't his face hurt
3: well he did let loose in kid rock's pussy room over the weekend oh good
0: no i didn't yeah but i did see that kid rock said that trump called him for like a policy advice
3: yeah and and disclosed certain things to him Mm -hmm. which is smart yeah it's he's kind of like a cabinet member post-presidency cabinet member that makes sense
0: it does yeah to me
3: so that's it for this week i hope you enjoyed the immigration episode i hope you got something out of it and i hope that that contextualized the crisis at the border, the so-called crisis of our own doing at the border. And as always. Wait. Yes.
0: This isn't going to be, you know, I think people are going to wonder if this is the end-all be-all of our immigration episodes.
3: No, this is a table setter. This is just only only the beginning, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And what I like about year one, I guess, or the first 18 months of our experiment here, is that we've been able to lay the groundwork for so many very big themes. And like even here, to be able to just casually reference the libertarian episode and the um, Chicago School episode with uh, Uncle Fucknut, that's all great stuff because I feel like we're really beginning to speak in a shorthand with unfuckers and and get the language right. So when we talk about immigration policy and we talk about net international migration going forward, as an example, we're all going to speak with this shorthand to be able to just you know really get get the facts right.
0: Yeah, but it is becoming more apparent that. I mean, we get people writing in saying that they're kind of picking and choosing based on what interests them in order. Yeah. But it, I don't know if that's going to be feasible for the future because we're we're operating from a place of understanding.
3: In other words, people are going to have to go through the entire canon.
0: Yes. The entire canon. Yes. Canonical.
3: Yes. Yeah. And, and that's why Manny punches in um, and reminds people who I'm talking about when I say Uncle Dick Nipple, fuck breath. Uh, what was he today? Stinky fart?
0: hmm
3: Something else? I don't know. Yeah. Something with a nipple? Yeah. Yeah. To make sure that everybody always knows that we're referring to Milton Friedman, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but yeah, I, I hope that we're creating a sense of understanding and a shorthand as people go through the catalog and, and begin to see these are all threads. They're all threads and, and building blocks. They all tie together. I mean, to be able to tie the Chicago school to the crisis at the border is pretty heady stuff if you just fell into it right i mean that's like you know it it seems like a it seems like a reach it seems like a stretch
0: not if you know what you're talking about
3: right so it's a fun journey i hope you're having fun with it too on fuckers and sub fuckers
0: i thought you were asking me
3: i know you're having fun with it no (laughs) are you not having fun
0: i hate i hate it I, i love i love no immigrants, and I hate doing this show.
3: Listen, I know at your heart you're a white nationalist. I know. I know you're a proud girl.
0: I know. And I just want to be back with my people.
3: But we need to do better. (sighs) Fine. As always, Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by the sound design master, Manny Faces Media.
2: Who is clearly losing his voice right now.
3: The show is lovingly produced by the great and powerful white nationalist (laughs) 99
0: um, my punch in is going to be a clip from Hamilton where they say, Immigrants, we, we get, get the job done.
3: Nice. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com. The show is hosted by Maximo and distributed by immigrants. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail.com. Connect with us on social at unftrpod. Become a member at buymeacoffee.com unftr and help us keep building and funding this show. Visit our book list at bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTR pod. The only book that needs to make it in there is The People's History of the United States mm. by the great Howard Zinn, if it's awesome. not already in there. Probably is. Probably. I hope so. And get some native roasted coffee at UNFTR.com slash shop. And read our essays on Substack at UNFTR.substack.com, which will always be free. And remember, we've dropped out of the top like fucking 900 on Substack. So, we need some more sub stackers, some unfucking sub stackers in there.
0: Subfuckers. Some sub you have a name for them. I do
3: have a name for that. <laughs> yeah, What's wrong you just with you? totally me? forgot it. Yeah.
0: Sub stackers, unfucking sub stackers. That's crazy. Are you okay? No. Well,
3: <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, hey, I'll see you in a few days for show
2: notes 99.
4: Bye.